Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Remember that Hebrews chapter 11 began with a definition of faith. And then you'll remember it continued with illustrations of faith. The last time we were together, remember, we talked about Abel and his worship. We talked about Enoch and his walk. And now we talk about Noah and his warning. And the reason why this becomes such an important issue is because we begin to understand that even though faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, that our faith is like a gem. It's multifaceted and the Bible will cut a piece, if you will, and we'll see the reflection of the glory of God. We discover that by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain in verse 4. By faith, Enoch was translated so that he didn't see death in verse 5. In Abel, we see an illustration of worship and faith. And in Abel, we see an, and in Enoch, we see an illustration of the walk of faith. And now, in Noah, we see an illustration of warning in faith in verse 7. And in this single verse, we find Noah warned of a coming judgment. A judgment that would be so profound and so severe that it would result in the extermination of most of the human life on the planet and most of the animal life on the planet Earth. According to the text, Noah was motivated by godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household, for which he condemned the world, and he became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. The writer of Hebrews will cite Noah as an example of faith, someone who believed God, someone who believed God's warning of a coming judgment and then acted on that warning with fearful, reverent faith. Have you noticed that each person cited thus far, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Bring us a different way, a richer way, a more incredible way of looking at the subject of faith. And so, the writer of Hebrews will cite Noah as an example of faith of someone who believes God. And in believing God's warning of a coming judgment, acts on that warning. In verse 7, right at the beginning, it says in his identity, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Now remember, by faith means what he's already spoken of in verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's the thing about faith. If you don't have it, it's very difficult to understand it. And if you do not understand it, 
And if, and if you do have it, no explanation becomes necessary. When you're talking with your family and your friends about faith, or you speak of being um, a man or a woman of faith, it's very, very difficult for people who have little or no faith to understand what it is exactly that you're talking about. And most of us are familiar with Noah's story. Anyone who's ever attended a Sunday school class will eventually come upon the story. It begins with the last few verses in Genesis chapter 5. In Genesis chapter 5, verses 29 and 32, we read, And he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands. The verse speaks of Noah's name. His, no, his name means rest or comfort. And so it says, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And he begot Noah. Lamech lived 595 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old. And Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. What's interesting about this is if you've ever been interested in your genealogy, if you've ever wondered where you came from, if you ever wondered who your ancestors were, guess what? That guy Noah, he's your great, 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 grandpa. You can go back as many greats as you need to, but you're going to wind up each and every person within the sound of my voice is a direct descendant of Noah. Each and every person is a direct descendant of Seth, of Enoch, and now Noah. Noah was warned by God. By the way, when he begets Shem, Ham, and Japheth, almost probably all of us are somehow distantly related to one or more of those three boys as well. Noah was warned by God of things not seen. In what sense? God gave Noah a revelation of a judgment that was going to come. As a matter of fact, there was never a global catastrophe prior to the flood. Some scholars suggest that the weather patterns that were on the planet Earth may have been profoundly different from the weather patterns that we observe today. I want you to imagine a world where there is no such thing as hurricanes. There's no such things as earthquakes. There's no such things as natural disasters. Some have suggested that there may have not even been rain. In Genesis chapter 2 verses 5 and 6 it says, Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, before marijuana had become legal in Colorado, it doesn't say that in the text. It doesn't say that. I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. And there was no man to, to till the ground. Verse 6 of Genesis chapter 2. But a mist went up from the earth 
and watered the whole face of the ground. Some have suggested that this mist was caused by a daily evaporation and then condensation of the moisture which occurred with the change in temperature. Imagine the days are hot and the nights are cool and in the hot days the the water evaporates and in the cool days there's condensation that takes place and the whole world was watered. In chapter 6, we read about the preparation for the flood. In chapter 7, protection during the flood. In chapter 6, it begins with a description of God's grief in in verses 1 through 7. And then it continues with a declaration of God's grace in chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. And then God's guidance in chapter 6 of Genesis, verses 11 through 22. But I want to draw your attention in the book of Genesis chapter 6 to verse 8, where it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In verse 9, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Now remember what we've already learned. Abel worshipped God. We learn that Enoch walked with God. And we now see that Noah also walked with God. Noah, like Abel and Enoch, exercised righteous living, not when things are easy and not when things are good, but at the most difficult time in all of human history. Humanity was in a downward spiral. Wickedness was everywhere. Quite literally, the world was thoroughly corrupt. It was completely evil. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, whether it was at work or whether it was at school. Maybe you even have grown up in a home or maybe you live in a home right at this very moment where they don't love Jesus and they don't honor God and they don't read the Bible. And you wonder what it would be like to be raised by a mom and dad who loved the Lord and believed the Bible. But Noah is quite literally honoring God in the most difficult social and cultural circumstances that you can imagine. According to the account in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 through 13, it says, the earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth. And indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The Lord warned Noah of something that no one had ever seen, that the earth had never experienced. God, through a supernatural revelation, warns Noah of something that's going to happen that no one has ever seen and that few could possibly believe, but Noah believed God. 
And so we go to the next part of the verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, and moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world. God's announcement of destruction didn't end there. With the announcement of destruction came a promise and a revelation of construction. What do I mean by that? What do we know? The Lord told Noah to build an ark. And the ark would save him. And the ark would save his family. You know the story. Two of every animal and seven of certain sets of certain animals were to be taken into the ark. God warned Noah of a coming catastrophe of judgment. Our text reads, moved with godly fear. The word translated fear is very, very interesting in the original language. In the Greek language, it's eula, bethe. It means a godly fear. The scholar A.T. Robertson says it includes the idea of reverence. It includes the idea of standing in awe of God and his warning, taking heed lest one fall under God's judgment, diligently taking God at his word, immediately acting upon what it says. In other words, it isn't the kind of fear that says, oh no, he's going to kill me. That's not the kind of fear that he's talking about. It's a godly reverence that so overwhelms you that all you want to do is obey and submit to him. Noah believes God's warning about a future judgment. But he doesn't just simply believe God's warning about a future judgment. He's willing to act in faith on what God says. And so, he believes before the judgment came. That's the idea. He believes before the judgment comes. And this becomes sort of a way of us thinking about what we talk about when we come to church or when we open up our Bibles and we we speak of a second judgment that's coming. We warn the world and we say, you know what? God destroyed the world with a flood, but guess what? We live in a world that doesn't even believe that, do we? There are people who would say, you know, those stories in the Bible, the story of the catastrophe, it didn't really happen. If it really did happen, it probably happened in a localized circumstance But it probably didn't happen. Some scholars suggest that Noah built this ark far from a body of water, far from any harbor. But I want to point something out about this particular passage. And I want to focus on the subject of the ark just for a moment. And I want to ask a couple of different questions. We know that we live in a world where there are a lot of people who don't believe the flood story. And they don't believe the story about Noah. And they don't don't believe any of this happened. I'm going to ask you a far more important question. Did Jesus believe this story? What do you think the answer to that is? 
Did Jesus believe the flood story? And if he did believe it, how do we know? Well, the answer is found in Luke chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. Jesus is speaking to a group and he says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. Pause. When Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, are you left with the impression that there were no such thing as those days and that there was no such thing as a person called Noah? I'm not. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, indicating that there was such a time and that there was such a person, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Does Jesus mention a guy named Noah? Does Jesus mention a thing called the flood? Does Jesus mention an instrument of salvation? An ark? The the answer is yes to all of them. Jesus describes the conditions in the pre-flood world. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. The world was conducting business as usual. The human beings seemed oblivious to the danger. They seemed oblivious to the judgment. They even seemed oblivious to the means of escape. Jesus is doing this in the context of a second and a future global judgment so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. Jesus describes a world where people might entertain the notion that God might judge the world, but that he would never do it ever again. By the way, why did Noah's faith condemn The world. I'm going to suggest to you that the answer is found in our text. It's because of Noah's life of faith. Number one, he receives a revelation from God. God speaks to him. And then number two, he believes God. And then number three, it's Noah's testimony of faith. He tells a watching world that a judgment is coming... And the moment that he initiates the act of building an ark, it becomes a constant testimony to the fact that judgment will soon come. I'm going to ask you a question. For those of you who actually know the story and know how this ends, is Noah in the majority or is he in the minority? Yeah, he's definitely in the minority. He's definitely in the minority. The vast majority of the world believe he's crazy. That he doesn't have both oars in the water. By the way, were the Hebrew Christians who received this letter under such pain and such persecution, in dire distress and difficulty, were they in the minority or the majority? They too were in the minority. They were experiencing unbelievable pain and incredible difficulty. My daughter-in-law sent me a note. Saeed Abedini's 
wife received a letter from her husband, or Saeed Abedini sent a letter to his wife, Nagme, about his current condition in the Iranian prison. Tomorrow's his birthday. Tomorrow is Saeed Abedini's birthday, May 7th. Tomorrow is also the National Day of Prayer. And in the letter, Saeed Abedini asks Christians everywhere to pray for revival. In his letter, he actually didn't just simply say, please remember me and and pray that God will release me. He says that, but before he says that, he says, pray that I will recognize evil in my own heart and forsake it, and then pray that the people in America will recognize evil and forsake it. He understands that when you're in the minority, sometimes it's very, very difficult to have your voice heard. If Jesus is really the Messiah, if Jesus is really who he says he is, then the Hebrew Christians must have been struggling with the thought, why then did so many leaders in the Jewish tradition reject him as the Messiah? Refuse to accept him as the Lord. The people in Noah's day also rejected Noah's testimony and faith. God told Noah to warn the world. So how does our faith condemn the world? For Noah, it was his life of faith. For Noah, it was his testimony of faith. Jesus speaking to one religious leader in John chapter 3, verse 16 said, the most famous verse that you memorized when you were just a child, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. But most people don't remember what the next verse says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. When Noah received the revelation of God to build an ark, an instrument of salvation from a coming judgment, he condemns the world for the world who reject his message, who reject the revelation, who reject the instrument of salvation. The people in Noah's day rejected his testimony, and they rejected his faith. God told Noah, warn the world. The Lord told Noah, prepare an ark, save yourself and your family and the animals. Noah stands fast in his testimony. Noah completes the task of building the ark. Noah stands fast in his faith despite the mockery and the abuse and the unbelief that was heaped upon him by his generation. In the eyes of the watching world, Noah was a fool. 
Why would anyone take their time, their energy, and their resources and pour it into an instrument that could not possibly have any value or use? Now, again, think about this for just a moment. Imagine building an aircraft carrier in the middle of the Sahara Desert where, there's, where no one can ever remember ever there ever being any water. You see, that's the way the vast majority of the people look at you and they look at your faith. They think that you're building a life and that you're investing in a future that will never happen. But what do you really believe about this world? Will it last? What do you believe about yourself? What is the focus of your life? What are you trusting to answer the questions that plague you? What is it that will save you? Science, technology, comfort, pleasure, possessions? Do you scoff at the idea of a coming judgment? When judgment is preached, do you ridicule or run? When people ask the question, is there a God? Will he judge the world? When people ask the question, will he judge me? Will he judge you? What will God find in your heart? Will he find what he found in Noah's day? That every imagination of the thoughts of human hearts was only evil continually. And so I think one of the most impressive reasons to believe that the story of Noah is true. And that the ark is true is that Jesus uses it as a type and a picture of his own self. The ark is a type and a picture of Jesus. After God revealed his plans to destroy the earth, he also revealed his plans to save Noah and his family. The world continued to plummet deeper, deeper into darkness, deeper and deeper into wickedness. The ark, the ark was going to be the only way. It was going to be the only way to be saved in a world that was destined to die. And Jesus will be the only way. The only solution to another world that's destined to die. By the way, for those of you who are thinking about, well, how does it serve as a type? Because I thought we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. Noah builds the ark. Do we build the instrument of our own, of our own salvation? The answer is no. I need to ask you a different question. Who came up with the idea of the ark? God did. You're exactly right. God came up with the idea of an ark. Not Noah. Why did Noah build an ark? Because God revealed to Noah the fact that an ark was necessary. Well, did Noah play a role in building the ark? Of course he did. Noah may have fabricated the boat, but the idea was formed in God's mind. By the way, when he forms the idea and he reveals it to to Noah, does he also give him the dimensions of the ark 
when he gives him the dimensions of the ark, he talks about its length and breadth and width and height. And in God's plan, it's God's plan. He came up with the dimensions of just how big Jesus is going to be as he saves human beings. The ark was foreknown. It was foreordained by God. And then it was supernaturally given to Noah by the word of the Lord. How do we know that? We just read it in our text. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. And think about it for just a moment. Noah had no part in the planning of the ark. But he does play a role in the building of the physical structure called the ark. And I see in this a kind of a picture of the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Jesus is a human being. The ark was planned and designed by God, but built by Noah. The instructions were very detailed. Genesis 6.14, make the ark of gopher wood. Pitch it within and without, with pitch. In order for the Savior to be a Savior, he had to be born a human being. Humans require a human savior. One of the reasons why we know that angels will never be saved is because Jesus doesn't become an angel. He becomes a human being. The author M.R. Dahan in his book Portraits of Christ in Genesis writes, and I quote, The Savior must be both God and man. He must be man to atone for man's sin. He must be God to bear the infinite penalty of man's sin. Because he was a man, he could stand in man's place. Because he was God, he could bear in a few hours the eternal, infinite judgment of God upon sin. The spiritually enlightened mind cannot fail to see in this a shadow of the incarnation. The part that humanity was to play in preparing the Savior Jesus as the ark of safety. The Savior must have a human body. And he also has to have a nature that is divine. Noah was therefore commanded by God to build the ark. Millenniums later, the one who foreshadowed by all of this came into the world, the product of a human being, called in the scripture, the seed of the woman. The apostle Paul makes it crystal clear in Galatians chapter 4, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. Isn't that an interesting expression? Made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, unquote. Jesus fulfills the promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Remember what we've already seen. Abel offers a more excellent sacrifice. Enoch walks with God. Noah is divinely warned. But does Noah know 
about the promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel, unquote. Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because he was better than everybody else? Not necessarily. It's because God made a promise. God made a promise that he was going to provide a redeemer and that that redeemer would somehow be human. Noah had to know about the promise. And he had to know that somehow he and his sons and their children and their children's children would play some sort of role in making sure that the promise came true. Jesus is our perfect ark. Now I want you to think about this for just a moment. Do you think that the ark was safe or unsafe? Think about what you just said. The ark is safe. How do we know that the ark is safe? How do we know that this ark is going to weather the storm and weather the judgment? It's because God came up with the plans for the ark. The dimensions of the ark and how it was going to be fabricated and how it was going to be constructed. The ark was perfectly safe. It had to be to bear the storm and weather the judgment. And so in that sense, your Savior would also have to be safe. The Savior would have to be constructed, if you will, in such a way that whatever the storm of sin and whatever the difficulty of judgment might come upon a world, Jesus would have to be able to deal with it. Was the ark safe? Yes. Was the ark perfect? Yeah, because it was designed by God. So if the ark was safe and the ark was secure, how do we know that? How how could we know that it would be secure? In Genesis chapter 7 verse 1 it says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house, Into the ark. I want you to consider that for just a moment. If you have a Bible, you might want to take a note. You might even want to go to Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, and read the text for yourself. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house, come into the ark. Because this word come, this word come, is the first appearance in the Bible. It's the first time the word makes its appearance in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord doesn't simply say, It's safe. You can come in now. The way the sentence is structured in the Hebrew language, it implies that God is already inside the ark. And God bids Noah and his family, come thou and all thy house into the ark. Why is it safe? Because he created it and designed it. Why is it secure? Because he's inside of it. 
The Lord doesn't simply say it's safe and you can come in. The way, like I said, the sentence is structured is he's inviting them to come in. And the, the way that I would think about it is the ark can't sink. The ark can't fail because God's presence is in the ark. And because it is in the ark, it it guarantees their safety when he says that Noah and his family will be safe. Do you remember the story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 verse 25? They're on the lake in the Sea of Galilee. There's a storm that comes. The disciples are crazy afraid. They cry out in the storm, Lord save us lest we perish. They hadn't learned the lesson that when the Lord, when the Lord is in the boat, it can't sink. And you see, this is why the ark becomes a picture of Jesus. God is in the boat. God is in Christ making sure that you're going to weather the storm, that you're going to survive the judgment. You know, when I was a brand new Christian, I I asked myself this question. I, I, I wonder if I get to heaven, and once I get there, they realize what a mistake that they've made, and they decide to kick me out. Have you ever wondered if you could be, do something or say something so stupid in heaven that they would ask you to leave? But in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us or lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. The only way that you're going to be disinvited from your destiny is if Jesus is asked to leave. And this is why Noah, his wife, his children, their wives are going to be safe and they're going to be secure. By the way, the first mention of the word come, Genesis chapter 7 verse 1. Do you know where the last mention of that word is in the Bible? It appears first in Genesis chapter 7 verse 1, but it appears last In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, where in the book of Revelation, it says, And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that hears say, come. And let him who is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Isn't that interesting that the first mention of come in the Bible in Genesis chapter 7 verse 1, it's an invitation to escape a judgment of water. There's a kind of water that can kill you. And then there's a kind of water that can save you. Isn't that interesting? Water that leads to death. Water that leads to life. So the ark is safe. The ark is secure. By the way, one other thing. Does the ark, put the ark up again if you can. 
Does the ark have any sails? Does it have a motor? Does it have an engine? Does it have a rudder? Does it have a pilot house? That's because God himself is directing the ship. You know, some people wrongly, unwisely, ill-advisedly believed that the ark was simply at the mercy of the waves, forced to go where the storm led the ship. But they would be wrong. It was carefully piloted and steered by God. The same God who said, come thou and all thy house and enter into the ark. The same God who says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and who are weary and I will give you rest. God was going to take the ship to Ararat. God was going to take the ship to the mountain called Ararat. And God was going to take our ark to Mount Calvary. The ship wasn't being tossed and thrown and at the mercy of the waves and the storm. And when Jesus is sent to Calvary's cross and and all hell seems to rain down on him. And it looks like God is completely out of control. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is ordering and orchestrating not only the destination of the ark, but the destination of Calvary's cross. God planned the ark. God made it safe. God made it secure. God guided it through the storm. But that doesn't mean that Noah had nothing to do. Noah and his family built the ark. Noah and his family feed the animals. Noah didn't do this because he was afraid he was going to get kicked out of the ark. Do you think he got his family together and said, look, we've got to feed these animals. Look, we've got, we've got to do some stuff while we're in here. Or else, what if God asked us to leave? Do you think that they were motivated by fear that they might get kicked off the boat? I don't think so. Noah remains safe in the ark. And we remain safe in Jesus. Jesus is our ark of salvation. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, you mean we're saved by works? No. The very next sentence says, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. When we come to the end of chapter 7, by the way, in Genesis, we read in verse 16, And they went in, male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Noah didn't close the ark of the door. The Lord doesn't place the welfare and safety of his children in the hands of men, or in the hands of a preacher, or in the hands of a priest. Jesus is the only one who opens the door. And Jesus is the only one who can shut the door. And by the way, 
There was only one ark. There wasn't a fleet of arks at the time of the judgment. Can you imagine if God said to Noah, you build an ark. And he says to another guy, hey, you build an ark. And another guy, hey, you build an ark. And pretty soon there's like five, six, seven, ten, twenty arks to choose from. How do I know which is the right ark to get into in order to escape the judgment? Did I ever tell you the story about my, my dad? My grandfather died. And we're driving after my grandfather's death. My, 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 my father was a part of that generation that when he was hurt or confused or sorrow, you know, he would get in his car and he would drive. And as we're driving... My dad asks the question, Gina, how do we know which religion is the true religion? And I said, Dad, imagine you come from an island. Yes, I do. I come from an island of Sicily. <laughs> I go, imagine you live on an island and a boat comes and it promises to take you away from that island. A boat did come and it took me here to America. I go, but imagine you're living on an island and everybody on the island is saying that there's a boat that's coming, a boat that's coming and it's going to take you to the place where you, where you belong. The boat is coming and it's going to take you to the place where you belong. And finally a boat comes and your wife gets into the, into the boat and your mother and father get into the boat and your children get into the boat. But you don't believe that it may not be the right boat. And so you wonder whether or not it's a good idea to get into that boat. And pretty soon people beg you, they're, they're, they're crying, they're waving to you from the boat to get into the boat and all of a sudden they remove the gangplank and the boat starts sailing away and then the boat leaves dad how do you feel I can't believe I, I missed the boat I go this is exactly how you determine which religion is true it's the instrument whereby God has given to you in order to experience forgiveness of sin. You see, your, your, your question really isn't the right question. It isn't which religion is true. The right question is which relationship will ensure that you get to spend eternity with God forever. Because you see, there's only one boat. There's not a lot of boats to choose from. There were plenty of religions before Noah built the ark. But there is only one that was safe. There was only one that was secure. There was only one where God directed them and invited them to go to the place where he was. Remember Jesus said, I'm the door. If any man will enter in, he'll be saved, it says in John chapter 10, verse 9. And so when we come to the end of the verse, look what it says in verse 11 at the end of the verse. And he became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. The Lord God helped Noah prepare for the flood. Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. With God's grace comes God's guidance. 
The warning of destruction prompts Noah's willingness to construct a wooden boat that would serve as the vehicle for his deliverance. God provided protection in the storm. So what was his inheritance? What was his reward? He became heir of the righteousness which is according to the faith. What exactly did he receive? Well, his family is saved, number one. Number two, the world remained condemned. When Noah got into the ark, and when the judgment came, the people who didn't believe the revelation, and that they didn't believe the message, and they didn't believe the constant testimony that a judgment was coming and this is the way out, what happened to them? They perished in the storm. The Bible says that Noah believed God and God counted his faith as righteousness. He became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Matthew Henry says, Noah had faith in the promised seed, the savior whom God was someday going to send to the earth, unquote. There's nothing else upon the earth that can cause God to count a man righteous, but faith in the promised seed, in the savior of the world. Remember what I've always told you over and over again, salvation is always by grace. Salvation is always by blood. Salvation is always from a person. In Romans chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For what says the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. In Genesis 15, 16, that's where the quote come from. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. It wasn't just simply believing that God mentioned something. The implication is it's believing everything that God had said about Abraham and his problem, and the solution to his problem. Noah became heir to the brand new world. The Bible also says that the Lord remembered Noah during the flood and after the flood. And when the ark finally arrives on Mount Ararat, the Lord tells Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. Do you know what that tells us? That faithfulness is rewarded by fruitfulness. And what about you? Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul will later write in Philippians 3.9. And to be found in him. To be found. In him, not with our own righteousness, but with the righteousness which is of God by faith. Do you know why Noah was saved? Because he was found in a safe place. He was found in a secure place. He was found 
in the place that God revealed supernaturally. And so Noah experiences salvation from the flood. Do you know what all of this is supposed to do? Remember the definition of faith at the beginning of the chapter? Remember Abel offers God a more excellent sacrifice by faith. Enoch walks with God by faith. Noah acts on a warning and a revelation given to God, by God, to Noah, by faith. The whole point becomes this. The purpose of the scripture is to reveal Jesus. The purpose of the scripture is to reveal Jesus to you. Over and over again. The writer of Hebrews has already invited us in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. When the writer of Hebrews says let's draw close in full assurance. That's the point that is here given. And and by the way. What of Noah and our father and his faithful example? Well God gives Noah a rainbow. You all know that. I should have put a rainbow up there. The Lord promises never again to destroy the earth with a flood. But will the earth be destroyed again by a fire? We know the answer to that. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 3. In verses 1 through 13, you know the passage. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in verse 10. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Noah preached. There's a flood coming. And no one will escape it. Unless you listen carefully to his message. Unless you flee into the provision that he has made in order to make you safe. Now you know how crazy that sounds to your family and friends when you say, there's a judgment coming. Run into the arms of Jesus. Embrace his love and his goodness. Noah had every reason to believe God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And you have every reason to believe God. And you've found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How do we know? The Bible says that the law came by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus The moment that you find Jesus and Jesus finds you, you find grace. You're aware of a future judgment. Noah built an ark. We have to go into the ark that's been provided for us. It has to be safe, it has to be secure. We have to make sure God is in there. And then we go in. 
I have an Irish friend, Oz Guinness, who wrote, quote, Some people think that having reasons for faith is an insult to God. But verification itself depends on the unchanging authority and stability of the word of God. We are not insulting God, but bringing glory to him, taking his word as the stable, authoritative truth that it is. Jesus is safe. Jesus is secure. And Jesus will take you to the place because the storm and the judgment that's coming, people are going to find themselves evaporated. The only people who are going to survive are the people who make their way safely into the arms of Jesus. Abel, excellent sacrifice. Enoch, walked with God. Noah, warns a watching world and is delivered. Now we begin to understand what the author is saying when he talks about faith being the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of of things not seen, but we've got so much further to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we have a Savior sent by you, designed by you, guided by you, perfect for what we need, safe and secure, stable and eternal, able to bring us to the other side of judgment, unharmed. And Lord, we understand that that's what the cross is. It becomes a testimony of how much you hate sin and how much you love us. And so, Lord, we pray even now that you would prepare our hearts for communion. That, Lord, we could reflect once again on what it means to know you, to love you, and to have faith. Faith in Jesus as the satisfying solution to the problem of sin. And for the person who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would convict them of sin, that they would be so much wanting to experience forgiveness of sin, that they've discovered that Jesus is the solution, that he's the mechanism where where we can be forgiven and be, be given hope. That in Christ, we can see ourselves in a boat that we know can never sink. That when Jesus is in the boat with us, the ship will not go down. And so, Father, we commit this time to you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, just one other quick thing. I just want you to 
whole